Well, you're going to have to forgive me if I spill over 12 o'clock today because I'm speaking on forgiveness. And so you have to, no matter what. All right? Actually, that's why we got these extra padded pews, you know? Uh, you're comfortable, aren't you? Okay, good. Well, then we're going to into the book of Ephesians, chapter number 1. Speaking once again of God's investment in you, that's our series at this point, and it's just a wonderful thing to see all he has done for us here. We're going to work our way into verse number uh, 8 particularly, but all around it, sort of. Uh, So what I'd like to do is to read from verse 3 on through verse number 9, and then I have a word of prayer with you. Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Lord, we need your help again this morning as we have your word in front of us. It is the guide for our lives, for our very spiritual walk with you and our our walk with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We need your direction. So we ask, Lord, that you would grant to us understanding today. And if there be barriers in our heart that we have set up, things that uh, we have been stubborn about, resistant to let go of, uh, in your presence we stand before you and ask that you change our hearts. Do your work in our midst. Make us what you would have us to be. Sometimes, Lord, we look at the word and we want it to say what we want it to say. But I pray that it will say what you want it to say today. And challenge us thoroughly with it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this chapter here is a record of what God has done for you. It is not meant to make you merely happy, though it does. I mean, how do you read this and not come away thinking, wow, does he think I'm pretty special? But I believe it is to make us useful. Because these things we are reading here are things that should uh, reflect in our lives, and they will make us a different kind of people. Uh, Especially one of the verses that follows this chapter, in chapter number 2, it says these words in verse 10, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. And that's what we're studying here in verse one or chapter 1, is the work that he's doing in us. We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, right? He does this for a reason. He works in us so that we can do these good works. And notice the rest of that verse, which God prepared beforehand. And that's also the emphasis of chapter 1, isn't it? All that he did for us, even before we could have a, a mark of any kind, an influence of any kind, God prepared beforehand 
so that we would walk in them. There's our purpose. And that's important for us to understand because as we go through this this record of what God has done for us, we see He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, right? It's right there in the verses, chapter 1, verse 3. In verse 4, it says that He chose us. In verse number 5, He predestined us to adoption as sons. In verse 6, He freely bestowed on us His grace. In verse number 7, We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Those are the facts. They're written for us. And yet, in the midst of the facts, He's told us how He did this. He has told us that He has blessed us in Christ. He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. He chose us, or He predestined us, verse number 5, in love. He predestined us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ, according to the kind intention of His will. He freely bestowed on us His grace in the Beloved. In Him and through His blood and according to the riches of His grace, He has given to us redemption and forgiveness of our trespasses. And He lavished it on us, according to verse number 8. In all wisdom... And insight. Now, he has done all this. And maybe at this time, we could ask the question, why? Why? Because you're a very special person, right? He saw you and said, hey, this one's smart, this one's intelligent, this one's attractive. I will bless them. Is that true? No. Look at these reasons. I love them. They're right here in the middle of the text. Verse number four. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. How do you like the fact that we have a right standing before God? We can stand before Him holy and blameless. Now, how much of that have you accomplished yourself? Nothing. He's done all that. That we might have that place to stand before him. That's exciting. I especially like the way the book of Jude ends. If you've read through the book of Jude, how we're going to be able to, he has made us able to stand before him, holy and blameless. And oh, it's a precious thing. That's to his glory. And that's part of the other reason. He made us so we could stand before him, but also in verse number six, he's done this to the praise of the glory of his grace. In other words, you have been made a visible trophy of what God's grace can do. A visible trophy of it. If anyone should ever ask, what can God's grace do, we ought to be able to point to any single person in this room who knows Christ as Savior. This is what God's grace can do. You will be that way forever. All the way through eternity. Trophies of the grace of God to the praise of His glory. That's why He's done this. And it's a remarkable passage. So this great list, we're working our way through. And our last study focused in verse 7 and 8 on the redemption and forgiveness He's given to us. Now just a tiny recap here. I want you to remember, it is a complete redemption. A complete redemption. We are set free from slavery to sin completely bought by the blood of Christ. Not half purchased. You're not under a mortgage here. Alright? 
He, he's not renting at all. He has completely purchased you by his blood. That's redemption. A complete purpose. And just as sure as his death was complete. Because that's the price paid, right? Our redemption is complete in that fashion too. That's important for us to understand. Especially when I move it to the next thing, also in verse number 7, that we have is forgiveness. It's under the same category. It's in the same fashion. It is just as true as redemption. We are not half forgiven. All right? We are not halfway forgiven because he did not halfway die. How far did he go when he died? Wasn't it complete? What about your forgiveness? It's based on his death. Now that's important to understand because our forgiveness is not based on us. It's not based on the degree of our sin. It's based on the degree of God's grace. It says so right there, doesn't it? We have forgiveness of our trespasses according to the degree of our sin, right? Do you see that? No. According to the riches of His grace. If His grace ever goes bankrupt, we're in trouble. Is it going to? (laughs) No, it will not. These are good words because this is the error that many people believe and let grow in their thinking, that somehow forgiveness is based on my performance. It is not. It's based on Christ. You see that? If that's the last words I could ever say this morning, I want you to understand that. Your forgiveness is not based on you. It's based on Him. It's based on Him. We have to be careful, of course, when we talk about this, that God's opinion of sin has never changed, and it never will. He hates sin, yes. The punishment is intense, isn't it? The wages of sin is death. What did Christ do? He died. He satisfied his Father. I know it's hard to wrestle with, but... Forgiveness is not based on the works of man. It's based on the works of Christ. And we have to keep that perspective. Because when God forgives, He lavishes His grace on us. Verse number 8 told us so. It's not nearly enough just to get by. Not nearly enough to, to deal with forgiveness. It's an overflow of grace. An overflow. A, a measure that spills over the top of the measuring cup. And it's meant to be that way. You would be surprised at how often that simple little concept is given to us in the scriptures. The way God blesses, the way God grants grace, it's always overflowing. Here's a picture I'll give to you in our quarterly newsletter, and it'll come out sometime in November, all right? Preview time. When you read it, you say, oh yeah, Pastor Bob told us about this one. In Psalm 23, I'm working my way through that passage with you. been on it now since we started uh, several years ago. And in Psalm 23, verse 5, you know the words, He prepared a table before us, the presence of our enemies. He anoints my head with oil. He causes my cup to do what? Overflow. My cup overflows. Now, what is your reaction 
when you're sitting at the table and everything is in its most beautiful arrangement it could possibly be, and little Junior reaches up to get something and hits the cup and poof, over it goes and everything starts spilling across the table. You know your reaction. It's amazing how quickly people move. Just, they're up. They're, they're just grabbing things. Some are even quick enough to grab the cup before it hits the table. They're, they're pretty, pretty quick about a response, aren't we? And then if it's already too late and it's there, of course, there's tablecloths of mess and, and towels are brought and everybody's trying to sop it all up and make it look nice. And, and it, everyone sees that stain the rest of the meal. Right? There it is. How do you avoid the fact that it happened? Most of us, we, we dread the idea of a spilt cup. Not in the culture of the Bible. Not in Psalm 23. Spilling was intentional. It was intentional. When your host filled your cup, you would sit at the table. If he liked you, he would start to fill that cup right up to the brim, and then with a little slight smile, I could almost picture it, just let it keep going over the sides of the cup and down onto the tablecloth. And that was something you'd watch and you'd smile too. Because what that was saying was, you're very welcome here. We like you. Relax and enjoy the magnificence of all I have. They would spill it on purpose. It was a sign. It was, it was something to say. Don't worry, I have more where that came from. Why do you think God uses a picture like that to talk of his grace? It spills over and it's extravagant and in his forgiveness he overflows and lavishes his grace on you and that is so that you know you're welcome to it. He did this out of love for you. Relax in his forgiveness. Relax in his love. The provisions of grace do not run out. He can lavish it on you over and over and over and over again. And he does, doesn't he? The rest of the newsletter comes out in November. But that little phrase, uh, my cup overflows, that's a beautiful thing. And what a picture here when we speak of God's forgiveness. But I've got a question, really, I want to leave with you. Not that I'm finished, okay? Just, I want to, I want this thought in your mind today. Does God know what He's doing? Does God know what He's doing? Now you say, well, don't be silly. God's wise. Yeah. It says here in verse number 8, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Now, that little phrase, in all wisdom and insight, there's two emphasis I want to give to it, and I can't do both today, so next week I'll get the other emphasis in. Um, it's this, this phrase, in all wisdom and insight, is in the center of two wonderful things that God has done. Alright? Now, take out the punctuation. There is no punctuation in the Greek language. From verse 3 through verse 14 is one sentence. And if you take out the punctuation as it was originally written, this phrase, uh, in verse 7, In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. It goes with it. 
And yet it also goes with the next, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the kind intention which he purposed in him. Now let's use it like a hinge somewhat, and swing it one way today, and next week swing it the other way, and see what this wisdom and insight is doing in regards to forgiveness and grace. Does God know what he's doing? When we think of forgiveness in a human way, we've got it messed up quite a bit, by the way. It is so complicated. People have written books and books and books on how to forgive, and we still don't know how to do it. It's complicated. It's philosophical, and it's psychological. And we, we, we look at human situations, and there's so many different parts and pieces to it that we come away confused. Uh, we wonder if... Uh, if we should forgive, how much do we forgive? How what's it based on? What degree did they hurt me? What degree am I willing to, to suffer the loss or the hurt in this situation? Uh, how do I know if they were sincere when they said they were sorry? How do I know that they weren't really meant what they'd done and they're trying to cover that up? You've been all that way before. Most of us have. We try to evaluate, what's this guy thinking, and is it the right thing to do to actually forgive him? Because we really didn't know his motive for why he did it in the first place. And we go through all these uh, gymnastics in our minds to figure out, how do you forgive somebody in this situation? It's complicated, isn't it? And I'm not going to spend the whole time I've got here talking about the complications. You just know it. Because we live, for the most part, without knowing all the parts and pieces in relationships. We, we don't understand it. And so our forgiveness is somewhat conditional. Not that we're entirely reluctant, but we're very careful in offering it, aren't we? Just out of, out of protection for ourselves more than anything else. We approach forgiveness very, very, very carefully. It's because our understanding is so limited. And so, if somebody says, well, I did this and I did that and I did this and God forgave me, and they just moved on, you may stop to think, well, did God know exactly all they did? Does, does God understand that person? You know, in every aspect of what, what they're about and their motives behind it and all the other things. It says here that he's lavished his grace on us in all wisdom and insight, right? In all wisdom and insight. Theological question. When is God wise? Always. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. He is always wise. It's one of his attributes. It's one of his attributes. A.W. Tozer put together a beautiful little book called Knowledge of the Holy. He has a whole chapter on the wisdom of God, and I'll just read you a couple paragraphs. He says, We shall not seek to understand in order that we may believe, but to believe in order that we may understand. Hence, we shall not speak for proof that God is wise. The unbelieving mind would not be convinced by any proof, and the worshiping heart needs none. Blessed be the name of our God forever and ever, cried Daniel the prophet. For wisdom and might are his. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealed deep, revealeth the deep and secret things. 
He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. The believing man responds to this and to the angelic chant. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. It never occurs to such a man that God would furnish proof of his wisdom or his power. Is it not enough that he is God? When Christian theology declares that God is wise, it means vastly more than it can say. For it tries to make a comparatively weak word bear an incomprehensible plentitude of meaning that threatens to tear it apart and crush it under the sheer weight of the idea. His understanding is infinite, says the psalmist. It is nothing less than infinitude that theology is here laboring to express. You know, when God made this world, he made it by wisdom. Scripture says, Psalm 104.24, O Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. Proverbs 3.19, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. Romans 11.33, O the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. 1 Corinthians 1.21 For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, but God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. 1 Corinthians 1.24 But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.30 For by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Here in Ephesians 3.10, So the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And it just goes on and on. I've got passages written down here over and over and over and over about the wisdom of God and all the activities revolving around it from creation to salvation. It covers all this territory in the wisdom of God. In all his activities, which activity does he do without wisdom? He does them all, right? He does all his activities by wisdom. What about in forgiving your sin? Did he forgive you by his wisdom? Let's add the second word here. We've got insight, by insight as well. He has, made, he has lavished all these on us with wisdom and insight. This is a, the mental activity that goes along with uh, wisdom. Some translations have the word here, prudence. It's really the, the exercise of the mind uh, that... Speaks of how they how they set their affection on something, uh, how they are intensely interested in something. It's an interesting word, this word insight, and and it's the exercise of the mind. And here's how it works, basically. Uh, his insight is an exercise of his will into re- in regard to what he thinks. He thinks, he knows, and he acts. And that's where the words come together. It's very beautiful. He knows and he acts on that knowledge. So when he forgives you, when he forgives me, he knows and he acts.
according to his knowledge. He forgives us with all wisdom and insight. It is wise for him to do so. It is wise for him to do so. And he did it with perfect understanding. Perfect understanding. Not forgiving us with a partial understanding. Or being deceived as to what kind of person we are. Have you ever felt, boy, did I get away with that one? God is not deceived. He is not deceived. In all wisdom. Isn't that what your Bible just says to you right there, that verse? In all wisdom and insight. In all wisdom and insight. There's, there's so much to add to this, but the, the fact that God's grace superabounds to us in all wisdom and insight. His wisdom and His prudence is bestowed upon us, the recipients of His grace. He is wise. And His wisdom is in full operation when He forgives sin. He knows what we have done. Doesn't he? Mm-hmm. He knows what we have done. I'll show you. In case you're wondering, Hebrews, chapter number 4. I'll show you just a handful of verses here. Hebrews, chapter 4. Look with me for a minute. Verse 12, verse 13. Verse 12, we, we see, For the word of God is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things, all things, right? You see that? All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He knows everything. We can't get away from that, can we? He knows everything. He knows it all. And what's beautiful is, he adds a remedy to the problem too in the next handful of verses. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sins. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Oh, I love those things. Because when I read verse 13, I say, help! And then when I read verse number 16, I said, there's help. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? What a, a great combination. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. So many people in this world want to point the finger, but they don't give any solution. God can say, there's the problem, and here's the answer. That's wisdom. This is what he shows us here. First of all, he knows what we have done, and he knows the price of it too, doesn't he? We say it often, the wages of sin is death. That is not a New Testament concept. It is also an Old Testament concept. It goes all the way through, woven through the passages. Matter of fact, it's quite illustrated in the Old Testament. Uh, but a couple of examples in Ezekiel, uh, chapter 18, verse 20. The person or the soul who sins will die. 
And then go all the way back to Genesis, where God told Adam, the day you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. And then we've got them doing it, right? And what do they do in the garden? They try to make that confusing little mess of who did it. I didn't do it. She did it. No, she said he did it. And she points to the serpent. And everyone's pointing fingers all around the room. But who's the one with the answer? God is. He knew exactly what they were doing. And he knew what the penalty was. Jump over to 1 John 2. 1 John 2. That's the epistle in the back. Now, God knew, God knows sin, he knows what we have done, he knows the penalty of that sin, and yet watch this wisdom in 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing to you things so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. God's solution for sin is Jesus Christ, right? The death of Jesus Christ. He is the only representative you have before the throne of God. The only one. He is the only answer God has given. He is the one who died for your sin. Now either we accept his death on our behalf, or we still have a penalty to pay, don't we? One that we cannot pay. When we often speak of uh, uh, separation from God, we speak of those who are eternally lost. And that sounds frightful, doesn't it? Eternally lost. How, how do we fathom such a concept? Eternally lost. But that's the reality of the situation. The lake of fire is not sufficient to pay for sin. The torment, the, the punishment, the separation is not sufficient. We can never bridge it. We can never pay it. We can never... Fit. We, the penalty of eternal is not even sufficient for the crime. It's incredible when we think of it. And yet, what did Christ do? He died to pay that price. I can't even fathom it. But how powerful is his death? It says in verse 2, he is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. How many of your sins? All of them. Does it cover it all? Okay, you, you believe that. You sure you didn't miss one? He's wise, right? He thought this through. He didn't miss one. But notice verse 2. Look at it carefully. This is stunning. And not for ours only, but... What's it go on to say? What's it say? Are you afraid to say... Also for those of the whole world. That's incredible. <laughs> not for ours only... Even though we've made quite a pile, haven't we? Not for ours only. But he goes on and he dies the kind of death that would cover the sins of every being who's been on this planet. 
Every sin is covered. You mean, does that mean the whole world is forgiven? No. It does not mean that. It means his death was sufficient for that. It was sufficient for that. The full penalty has been paid completely in Christ. We need to take that and share it with the world that needs to hear it. Don't we? We have been given a full and complete payment in forgiveness. And Christ is the only solution for sin. And when somebody comes to know Christ, does he have to go and die again just to cover their sins too? No. Because it was sufficient, wasn't it? And that's what he's trying to show us here, is the death of Christ is more than enough for you. If it covers everybody, it covers yours, doesn't it? That's just astounding to me. See, it's not a matter of the limitation of Christ's death. There is no bottom to it, and there's no top to it in the measure of forgiveness in God's wisdom. We, we set our focus on Christ, not on man. It's the fact that man is stubborn to receive such a gift. Sometimes we say, well, maybe it's the quantity of his sins. Maybe it's the quality of his sins. Maybe it's the gravity of his sins. But is Christ's death sufficient? Yes. Yes. Who is so lost that Christ cannot save them? His death is sufficient. You would agree with that, wouldn't you? I've taken you down a little bit of a theological road on purpose. You have agreed with me this morning that God is wise all the time. You have agreed with me that God is wise in forgiving us, and you agreed with me that God's uh, wisdom shows his, his, uh, his remedy for sin is sufficient, and more than sufficient. You've agreed with me all those departments, right? We've seen that. Colossians have these verses. Chapter 2, verse 3, speaking of Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In chapter 2, verse 9, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And also, and in him you have been made complete. There is nothing lacking in his work in you. And on your behalf. That's the picture of forgiveness. There's wisdom in it. In all wisdom, God has forgiven you. In all insight, He has forgiven you. And you didn't get away with anything. He knows it all. And He forgave you. Completely? Yes. Did He know your actions? Yes. Did He know your motives? Yes. Does he know your circumstances? Yes. Does he know your heart? Oh, he even told us what that is. Heart is desperately wicked. Right? Does he know all those parts that you have played in this? Yes, 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 yes. He knows. He knows all that. Does he know what he thinks of it? Yes. Does he know what Christ did? Yes. Does he know why Christ did it? Yes. Does he know how Christ did it? Yes. Does he know how much Christ did? Yes. Does he know how much it supplies and applies? Yes. Does he know how long it lasts? Yes. Does he know what it covers? 
Yes. Does he know how much it overflows? Yes. Yes. Wow, what do you do with this? Guess what he's done, folks? He forgave us. In wisdom, he's forgiven us. Powerful. How do you respond to that? If you were reading the book of Psalms, they'd say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. How can we be quiet about such a thing? Forgiveness of God. Oh, how great it is. In Ephesians 4.1, it tells us how we can respond. It says in real simple words here, now that I've turned so far away, let me go back to it. In Ephesians 4.1, this is a response that's proper. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Wow! Walk in that manner. You're learning what it is. Now walk according to that. And then serve. That's a good response too. Since he's made this great investment in you and in me, we are made as his workmanship for good works that we may walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 Now I'm going to do two more things by way of application. One is just to read to you something real simple. This is a, a quote from Charles Spurgeon's uh, devotional, Morning and Evening. The morning, matter of fact, of September 25th, he says, My hope lives, not because I am not a sinner, but because I am a sinner, sinner for whom Christ died. My trust is not that I am holy, but that being unholy, he is my righteousness. My faith rests not upon what I am, or shall be, or feel, or know, but in what Christ is, in what he has done, and in what he is now doing for me. Let me ask you this, first of all. Where is your hope, and your trust, and your faith this morning? Is it in you? And I could ask you that because... If you're basing your forgiveness on you, that's where it's resting. If you're basing it on Christ, that's an entirely different picture of forgiveness, isn't it? Where's your hope right now concerning forgiveness? Have you talked to the one who forgives, or are you still wrestling with it in your own mind? In all wisdom, he has forgiven us. In all insight, he has done so. And I trust that that's where your hope is, just like he said here. This is my hope. I'm a sinner, but he's righteous. He's made the difference. I hope that's where you're at. Second thing I, I want to bring before you, and this is where it gets real, real uncomfortable. Because scripture says that we are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Okay? What's that mean? It's not based on circumstances. It's not based on how that person has been sincere in their, their apology, whether it sounded good to you or not, whether or not you trust their motives. It's not based on that. If it's like Christ forgave us, it's a complete forgiveness, right? It is a lavishly given forgiveness. 
is this uncomfortable? <laughs> Lavishly given forgiveness, and it is done because it is wise. Those are the three things we've learned about His forgiveness for us. And we're told to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. You know what? I can't do that. But Christ can do it through me. If you're sitting here saying, I just can't forgive that person, I just can't do that. Let's talk to the one who forgives. It's through Him that we operate. We move and have our being. It's through Him. I can do nothing, but through Christ I can do all things. Isn't that true? Do you believe that? Even in this department called forgiveness? I know. I set this before you. This has beaten me up all week long. So I'm just sharing bruises, okay? I read this passage and I say, okay, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to be like you. Heavenly Father, I think we all want to be like you. I hope that's true of every heart in this room. We are learning of this incredible investment you have made in us. You have given us this kind of forgiveness that we might live the same way and share it with a world that needs it. Lord, it it stretches us far beyond what we can do. And I'm glad for that. I'm glad it takes takes us beyond human ability and shows us that it's nothing that we can do. But it's all that you can do. And it's in your strength and your power that these things are accomplished. We need to hope in you more Trust in you more. Have faith in you more. And Lord, it's going to change our lives. I don't know what this uh, past week has been in the situations of the folks here this morning. Where this might apply and where it might even sting. I don't know what this next week might bring. But Lord, you were the same God last week as you are today and you will be tomorrow. Your word does not change, and circumstances will never change it. So teach us to be like you. Help us, Lord, in this, we pray, and make us like our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.